before we launch today, there's a couple things I want to take care of. Uh, first of all, I want to say a special thank you to everyone that showed up for Brenner last night. Uh, you came and, and just hung out with us and, and had some fellowship, and we had a great time, and, and I'm glad that you came, and I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Um, have you joined our next Remind group? Who's, who's a part of that? You're on, you're on the Remind group? Good number of people? Good. Uh, we've got a slide somewhere that'll show you how to do that, because um, I never can remember the number that you texted to, but uh, if you haven't already done that, get in on that. It's good stuff. Um, I want to take just a minute to thank everybody publicly that has a hand every Sunday in making what happens here and next happen. Um, you come in, the air is on, the coffee's ready, the bathrooms are in order, um, the media stuff is just taken care of, and I don't do all of that. There's a squad of people, and it's different people just about every Sunday, but sometimes it's the same people that do the same things, and I just want to say thank you so much to everybody. If you make coffee, if you do the bathrooms in the morning, if you bring donuts sometimes, it just... It means a lot to me, and it means a lot to everybody else. Thank you. We want to, I hope that whenever you come here every Sunday, you feel like you've gotten a quality experience, and there's a lot of people that make that happen, and I just want to publicly say thank you so much. Can we just give them a round of applause this morning? Even if it's you, go ahead and give yourself a hand. Yeah, that's good. It's not magic. Some sweet, considerate people make all that stuff happen. So today we're going to continue our series that comes from the Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And last week, we finally started looking at the first of five purposes for your life. So we finally got into purpose number one of five, and that one is that you are planned for God's pleasure. And our big idea from last week was all about worship. Bringing pleasure to God is worship. Making God smile is worship. And we talked a little bit about what worship isn't, and then we looked at the life of Noah and saw these five acts of worship that Noah lived out and that are good examples for us to follow today. So let's go back and touch on those real quickly. Uh, five acts of worship that make God smile. God smiles when we love him supremely, when we trust him completely. God smiles when we obey him wholeheartedly, when we praise and thank him continually and when we use our abilities. These are all things that make God smile, and these are acts of worship. It's a lifestyle of worship. And we were very deliberate last week and took our time and really leaned into this idea of worship and what it's all about. And this week we're going to do that even more. We're going to cover one chapter today, just one chapter. And for those of you keeping track, this is chapter 10 in the book. But what we're talking about today is the heart of worship, the heart of worship. And who's got the Matt Redman song, like, going through your brain? I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Cool song. It's got some great lyrics. It's got a really cool backstory. Um, if you've ever uh, looked at that, um, the church pastor said, we've, we've gotten way away from what worship needs to be about. And so for a time, I, I think it was over a month, maybe longer, no music. We're getting our focus off of music, and we're getting our focus back on God. And, and this song that he wrote, The Heart of Worship, actually came from that experience. So it's got a cool backstory. Google it. It's cool. Um, but one more time, because already we're mentioning worship and music in the same sentence. Worship isn't just about our music. 
And as we'll see again today, worship is more about lifestyle. So here we go. Big idea number one. And we've only got really one big idea today. One big idea. And here it is. The heart of worship. The heart of worship is surrender. Choo-choo train. The heart of worship is surrender. Sometimes I think the podcasters must just be like, what in the world is going on in that place? Podcasters, somebody's phone went off and it sounded like a train. That's why we said that. The heart of worship, the heart of worship is surrender. So let's go to Romans 12 and 1, and this is going to be our theme verse for today. Y'all have heard this one before. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give. In one translation, it says to offer. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. True worship about giving, offering, and being a sacrifice. Heart of worship, folks, is surrender. Surrender. Such an unpopular word, surrender. Uh, we, we, we like the, the word surrender about as much as we like the other Christian S word, which is submission. We, we put both of those in the same category. Um, surrender implies losing. And nobody wants to be a loser. Surrender evokes unpleasant images like admitting defeat in battle or forfeiting a game or yielding to a stronger opponent. The word almost always is used in a negative context. Criminals surrender themselves to authorities. The French surrendered to the Germans in World War II. Not too long ago, people had to surrender their homes to the floodwaters. It's almost always used in a negative context. And in today's competitive, get-it-done-at-all-cost culture, we're, we're taught to never give up. You never give up. You never give in. We don't hear too much about surrendering because winning is everything. And if, if winning is everything, then that means that surrendering is unthinkable. You just don't do that. You don't surrender. We would rather talk about winning and succeeding and overcoming and conquering and not too much about yielding or submitting or obeying or surrendering. But surrendering to God is the heart of worship. It's the core of worship. It's, it's the center it's the hub of the wheel of worship, surrender. And it's really, it's a natural response. It's a natural response to God's love and his mercy. We give ourselves to him, not out of fear and not out of a sense of duty, but in love. God just wins us over. And we just have to give in and surrender because as First John chapter 4 tells us, he loved us first. True worship. Bringing God pleasure, that's what worship is, true worship, happens when you watch this, when you give yourself completely to God. Let's go back to our theme verse for today, Romans 12 and 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I'm begging you, please, 
Give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Listen to the language. Give, sacrifice, offer. That's what worship is all about. And you can call it whatever you want to. You know, in, in Christendom, we have Christianese that we talk to. We, we have these terms and phrases that we throw around that sound so strange to other people. And some of those center around this. You know, we'll talk about consecration. And in our culture, that makes sense to us. But people outside of our culture, they're like, what is that? Giving him lordship. That's a weird one. I, g- I give him lordship. And people outside of our culture hear that and they're like, mm, what are you talking about? Taking up your cross. There's another weird one. Take up your cross. Makes sense to us. Dying to self. Or yielding to the spirit. Just yield to the spirit. This, it's, it's Christianese, right? And, and it makes sense to us. You can call it whatever you want to. What you call it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you do it. God wants your life. He wants your life. And he wants all of it. Not a part of it. Not, not 95% of it. He wants all of you. And not a part of you. Who in here is married? Okay. Who in here would stay married if that person looked at you and said, I'm going to give you 45% of who I am? Will you settle for 95%? What if before you were to get married, your, your future spouse was to look at you and say, hey, look, we, we just need to have an understanding. I love you. I think you're cool. You're smoking hot. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you as long as you're willing to accept 95% of me. Who's on board? Nobody. Now, some of you are in here thinking, <laughs> I take 95% because I'm not getting anything right now. All analogies break down at some point, don't they? God wants all of us. He's not willing to settle. God is not going to settle for 95% of you. He wants all of you. And we've got issues with that. We do. Look at your neighbor and tell him you got issues. Yeah. Now look at the other person and tell them, you got issues. Uh-huh. Okay, now listen, listen, I want you to do something for me. This, I want you to point your finger out like this. Now I want you to work really hard and bring it in like this and say, you got issues. You got issues. Am I the only one in here who struggles with surrendering to God? I didn't think I would be alone. I find it difficult. I find it hard sometimes. And even though I know he loves me, Court, even though he's done incredible things for me, sometimes I really struggle with giving him all of me. And one thing that it does, Andy, is it, it hinders my ability to be able to worship him, to be a true worshiper. So what I want to do today is I want to give you three barriers to surrender. 
And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. And I tried really hard to come up with some cool, I don't know, alliteration to make, you know, like three barriers to a breakthrough, three struggles to surrender, and, and nothing really captured it the way I wanted. So we're just going to call it three barriers to surrender. And I want to see if any of these will resonate with you like they do with me. These are three things that they undermine our worship. They, they hinder our worship. And, and they prevent us from being able to please God. So I want to give them to you first, and then we're going to talk about them. Three barriers to surrender. The first one is fear. We don't realize how much God loves us, and it causes us to fear. The first one is fear. The second one is good old-fashioned pride. Pride. We want to control our own lives. So fear, pride, and then the third one is confusion. We misunderstand the meaning of surrender. So fear, pride, and confusion. So barrier number one is fear. And off to the side, if you're taking notes on this one, for barrier number one of fear, off to the side, I want you to write a question. I'm going to give you a question to ask with each one of these. And this is the question I want you to ask with this one. Can I trust God? Can I trust God? Because trust is an essential ingredient. It, it, it's a must-have whenever it comes to surrender. Because you won't surrender to God if you don't trust God. But you can't trust Him, Amy, until you know Him better. So fear keeps us from surrendering. But 1 John 4 and 18 tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. So it's supposed to look like this. It's supposed to look like this. The more you get to know God, then the more you realize how much he loves you. And the more you realize how much he loves you, the easier surrender becomes because you trust him more. But it doesn't always look that way in my life. Now, how do I know? Chrissy, how do I know God loves me? How do I know that? Well, he gives me and he gives you a lot of evidence he gives us a lot of evidence. And the first one is, is that he tells you he loves you. He tells you he loves you a lot, like over and over and over again. I've just got a few examples here that I want to give you. But in Psalm 145 and 9, he tells you, I love you. In Psalm 139 and 3, he says, you're never out of my sight. You're never you are never out of my sight. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did this past week. I don't care how bad you blew it. I don't care how great it was. You are never out of my sight. I don't care how far away from your calling you are. You're never out of my sight. Matthew 10 and 30 says that he cares about every detail of your life. Every detail. 1 Timothy 6 and 17 says that he gave us the capacity to enjoy all kinds of pleasure. I love you. So I want you to experience things. I want, you to, I want you to taste good food. I want you to have joy and laughter. I want you to have the ability to experience all of these amazing things and, and see the beauty of nature and, and the wonder of, of, the, of the creation that I've placed in front of you. I want you to have the pleasure of enjoying those. That's love. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says that he's got good plans for your life. Not plans for evil, but good plans. 
Psalms 86 and 5 tells us, thank you, Jesus, I forgive you. I forgive you. Lord, you, you don't know what I did. I mean, it was bad. And I, I mean, you forgave me before, but then I went and did it again. He says, stop. I forgive you. And then Psalm 145 and 8. This is just a few examples, but this one, this one's really meaningful to me. He is lovingly patient with you. There's patience the way Jason does patience, which I don't think is really patience at all. If it is, it's so close to the line. And then there's the way God does patience. He's lovingly patient with you. In fact, God loves you way more than you can even imagine. But the cool thing about God is that he tries really, really hard to give you a lot to imagine about. So he just tells you, I love you over and over and over again. I love you. I love you. And I want you to hear it from me until you just can't. You know, it's just like, oh, shucks, Jesus. I know. Until you just give in and say, I know you love me. Stop it, Lord. So he tells you. But then the greatest expression of his love is that he died for you. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God showed showed God showed I'm not content to just say it I, I want to put it into action and I want I want you to see me live out how much I love you God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us not while we were good not while we had it all together not whenever we had started pulling it all in and, and, and making the right correction but while we were still sinners just a nasty, old, crusty, messed up sinner. He loved you so much that he died for you. If you want to know how much you matter to God. You look at Jesus on the cross. You look at Jesus saying. I love you this much. This much. I would rather die like this than to live without you. That's how much I love you. Folks, that's crazy love. Crazy love. And you can trust, Dale, you can trust that kind of love. You can, you can take that all the way into eternity. Forget stopping at the bank. Take, take that love all the way to eternity. A God that is willing to take off his glory and come down to your level. And some of you, you really weren't that bad off. Some of you were really bad off. He came all the way down to your level and even lower to show you this is how much I love you. And, and, and I'm willing to do this for you. Folks, nobody has ever loved you that much. Your mom might have been the closest thing to Mother Teresa the world has ever seen, but she didn't love you this much. Your dad doesn't love you this much. That favorite brother or sister, your BFF, they don't love you this much. You can trust God because he loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. And that trust in his love will free you from fear. 
And it empowers you to surrender. So barrier number one is fear. Barrier number two is pride. And here's a question I want you to write off to the side for this one. Can I admit, can I admit my own limitations? Can I admit my own limitations? We don't want to admit that we are creatures and not creators. Newsflash, you're not in charge of everything. You weren't designed to be in charge of everything. In fact, whenever you really get down to it, you're not really in charge of very much at all. You're not really in charge of you all that much. Who had to go to work this week or school? Who's married? (laughs) We're talking about being in charge. Who's got kids? Who wants to be thinner? Who wants to be younger? Who wants to have more hair? Who wants to have less hair? Don't put your hand up. See, you ain't in charge. You ain't in charge. Because these are basic things that you have absolutely no control over. But we want to be in control. It is, it is in fact, it is the oldest temptation. That's how Satan tempted Eve. It wasn't about fruit. It wasn't about taste. It, it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with the experience. It had everything to do with being in control. Satan told Eve in Genesis chapter 3, he said, you're going to be like God. You're going to be like God. You're going to know what he knows. You'll be in charge. You'll be able to take control of your own life because, because you'll, be, you'll be like God. And that desire to have complete control, it is the cause of so much stress in our lives. We want to be God. We want to have control. And i got to tell you, because you may not know this yet, but there is no way you're going to win that struggle. You're not God, and you're never going to be. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, the reason why so many are still troubled, still seeking, still making very little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. When we try to be like God, watch this. When we try to be like God is whenever we are most like Satan. That's what he wanted. And look where it got him. Now, here's the deal. We will accept all of that. You know, and some of you, I appreciate the feedback. you nodding your heads. I like that. I need that. But we'll accept it intellectually. Yep, Coop, you're right. Not in control. I'm not God. Got it. And it takes place here, but it never makes it here. We'll accept it intellectually, but not emotionally. And then what happens is we come face to face with our own limitations. And we will react with anger 
with irritation, with, with resentment, with frustration, with hopelessness, with apathy, which is one of our weird defense mechanisms that we have whenever we can't really get something that we want, so we pretend we don't want it anyway. We want to be taller or shorter or thinner or smarter or wealthier or more talented or more beautiful or more popular. And, and we want to have it all and do it all. And again, we get, up, we get upset when it doesn't happen. Then, then, we, then we notice that God has given some other person the very characteristics or things that we don't have that we wish we did have and we respond with jealousy we respond with envy i don't really like her self-pity resentment it's, it's an intellectual acceptance that i'm not in control but it's not an emotional acceptance. But if we will accept, can I accept my own limitations? If we will accept our own limitations and let God be God, then we can surrender to him. We can surrender because all of a sudden you're not carrying around that 800 pound rage monster inside of you about all of the things that you wish you were, but you aren't. All of a sudden, you're not carrying around that thousand pound weight of grief inside of you about everything that you wish you had or wish you could be, but you aren't. That's that's somebody's world today. And it wouldn't hurt my feelings. It would hurt my feelings, but you heard exactly what you needed to hear right there. You could get up and roll out right now. That, that was all you needed. But nobody get up and leave. You're angry and you're upset and you're distraught and you're at your wits end about something that you can't control. And it's because you've tried to position yourself unsuccessfully, I might add, to be something that you were never intended to be in the first place. I hope somebody's hearing this today. If you would surrender that position of lordship to the person who really is designed to be Lord, him, who really is Lord in his nature and character, surrender that position. What you're going to find is you're going to find new levels of peace and, and new levels of confidence in life that it's like you never knew existed. Not by fighting for something that you can't control, but surrendering it to the person who does. Let God be God and you be who you were created to be. Just get past that barrier of pride. And accept your own limitations. Everybody doing okay? We got one more. And the third barrier to surrender is confusion. Confusion. Here's your question. Do I really understand the meaning of surrender? Do I really understand the meaning of surrender? Surrendering to God is not um, some type of passive resignation. Uh, oh, oh, okay, God, whatever you're just you're going to do, whatever you do, I'm just going to sit over here and go through the motions so you won't judge me. It, it's not fatalism. Surrender is not fatalism. Well, God, you're just going to get me in the end anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do. 
It's not fatalism. And it's not an excuse for laziness or accepting the status quo. In fact, surrender often demands the exact opposite of just accepting the status quo. Surrender often involves sacrificing your life or even suffering in order to change what needs to be changed. Surrender is is a very active thing. It's not passive. It's very active. It's a very purposeful thing. It's not passive. It's purpose-driven. See what I did there? How about that? The reality is, folks, that God often calls surrendered people to do battle on his behalf. And that is so contrary to the way that we normally think about things. But he calls surrendered people to do battle. Y'all remember that scripture? We've talked about this in here before, but in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount, and he says something. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Heard that before? Nobody. Okay, great. Come on. Now, who's heard that before? Blessed are the meek. Okay. That, that word in, 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 the, in the original language, that, that word meek, was, there was a cultural uh, um, idea associated with that. And that was the idea of the meek's horse, a horse who had been meeked, M-E-E-K-E-D, meeked. And, and the, that was usually used with, uh, in reference to horses that went into battle. And they were strong and they were powerful and they could charge into the enemy line and they were, they were fearsome. But they were, they were so sensitive to the slightest nudge that they could turn or stop on a dime from the person who, by the person that was riding it. And that, it was said of that horse that that horse had been meeked. So th- this is us. God calls those that have been meeked, that have surrendered. I'm willing to go into battle, Lord, but I'm willing to, to change and stop at just the slightest nudge from you because I'm surrendered to you. Surrender doesn't mean giving up your strength and it doesn't mean giving up your rational thinking. This is going to appeal to somebody in here. It doesn't mean giving up your rational thinking. God is not going to waste the mind that he gave you. He gave you that mind for for a reason and he, he wants you to use that awesome brain that he gave you. Surrender isn't repressing your personality. Quite the contrary, God wants to use that unique personality that he gave you. And rather than your personality be diminished, surrendering to God actually enhances who you really are. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, the more we let God take over, the more truly ourselves we become because he made us. He invented all of the different people that you and I were intended to be. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. Do I really understand what surrender means? Let me tell you this, the level of your understanding of obedience, I'm sorry, the level of your understanding of surrender is going to be best demonstrated in the level of your obedience. Your understanding of surrender is going to be best demonstrated by the level of your obedience. I say yes, Lord, to whatever he asks of me. 
to say no, Lord, is a contradiction. <laughs> because if he's Lord, you can't tell him no. So if you're telling him no, then that means he's not Lord. This is a great illustration of what surrender really means. And this one, this one meant a lot to me personally. Simon was a fisherman. Whenever he first met Jesus, he was a fisherman. Jesus, Jesus showed up on the, on the beach one day and was, was teaching to the crowds and asked this guy, hey, man, can I use your boat? And Simon was like, okay, I don't know who you are, but I'm a little freaked out and too scared to tell you no. So they went out in the boat, and Jesus used Simon's boat to teach from. And after he taught, after Jesus had taught the crowds, right, he tells him, go ahead and cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Because prior to that, Simon had been up fishing all night and hadn't caught a thing. So he's a, he's a failure. And he was, he was tired. And this guy just used his boat as, as, a, as a platform. He just used his way of life as a pulpit. I'm sneaking up on somebody right now. And he was tired. He was frustrated, and he was probably doubting his identity. What kind of fisherman fishes all night long and doesn't catch anything? Not anything. What am I doing out here? I stink at this. I'm not any good as a fisherman. What was I thinking? I hate fish. Fish are stupid. Boats are stupid. Water's stupid. I don't like anything to do with all this fishing stuff. Then Jesus comes along and says, hey, buddy, did you try throwing your net on the other side of the boat? Now, I don't know about y'all, but if it had been me, there were a lot of things that I would have wanted to say. But Simon somehow had a breakthrough moment of surrender. And look at what he says in Luke 5 and 5. He says, Master, we worked hard all night last night and we didn't catch a thing so why don't you take your fishing advice and just head right on back up the road where you came from because you're a carpenter and i'm a fisherman mm -mm. but if you say so i'll let the nets down again Mm, surrender people obey. <laughs> I wish this one wasn't in there. I really do. I wish it wasn't there, but it is. Surrender people obey, even when it doesn't make sense, even when they're tired, even whenever they've tried it before and it didn't work, even when they're doubting themselves, even when they've got serious questions about the platform that Jesus is trying to use in their life, they still say, I am so tired. I, I, I've, been, I've been down this road before, but you're Lord. So, okay. You asked me to do it. So I'll do it. And instead of trying harder, you trust more. Some of you, this, this one's yours. So just let me ask a couple of questions. What did God ask you to do that doesn't make sense to you? What did he ask you to do that just doesn't make sense? 
Say yes. What did God ask you to do and you said no? What you really said was, Lord, let me pray about it. And then you just kept on going. Look, I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging because I've, I've done it. I've done it. I've put him off. I've told him no. I'm not judging you, but I can tell you from experience, you will not be at peace with yourself and or with the people around you until you, you just surrender. So go back to God today, today, go back to God and tell him, Lord, I said no before. I messed it up. I want to change my answer. I said no before. I want to change my answer to yes. Let's wrap this up. Surrendered people, true worshipers, those are the ones that God uses. You know, God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus, not because she was the most talented, not because she was the most wealthy, not because she was the most beautiful or the most connected or the most privileged. God chose Mary because he wanted somebody that would surrender to him. Now watch this. Y'all don't zone out on this part. When the angel appeared before Mary and explained to her what God's improbable plan was about to be, her response was this in Luke chapter 1. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left. So what might God be trying to birth in you, but you haven't surrendered yet? Hmm, Y'all feel that? What might God be trying his best to birth in you, but you haven't surrendered yet? Maybe you're telling God, look, no way, not, not that way. We can do it a different way, Lord. Not right now, maybe a different time, maybe back in my past, three years ago that could have happened, or maybe two years in my future whenever I've got my stuff together a little bit better, but not that way, not right now. But if you will surrender and tell God, I'd rather not, but nevertheless, your will be done. Jesus prayed that prayer. If it's possible... Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, not my way, not my time, but your will be done. And if you will surrender, what you will discover is that the greatest hindrance to God's blessing in your life is not other people. I know you think it's your mother or your mother-in-law, but it's not her. The greatest hindrance to God's blessing in your life is not other people. It's not your situation and it's not your past. The greatest hindrance all along has been you. It's been your self-will. It's been your stubborn pride. It's been your personal ambition. We're not going to be able to fulfill God's plans for our lives while focusing on our own plans. 
But if God is going to do his deepest work in you and birth that miracle through your life that he wants to, it's going to happen through surrender. So you've got an opportunity today. Just give it all to God. Give it all to God. Your past, your presence, your regrets, your problems, the old problems, the new problems, the ones off in the future that you're already worrying about, your future ambitions, your fears, your dreams, your weaknesses, your habits, your hurts. Give it all to him. Folks, this is a moment of surrender. And there's a moment of surrender and there's a practice of surrender. There's a moment where you say yes, and then there's the practice of saying yes over and over and over again. It's like a lifestyle of surrender because the biggest problem with a living sacrifice is that it can crawl right off the altar. So you've got to keep saying yes over and over and over again. Many moments of surrender creates a lifestyle of surrender. Paul said it. He said, I die daily. Thank you, Paul, for being human. The heart of worship, the heart of worship, living a lifestyle of worship, a life that pleases God and makes him smile is surrender. Next week, we're done. Next week, Nathan Henson's going to be bringing it. He's going to be talking to you about becoming best friends with God. Here's your next step for this week. Super simple, super easy. I want you to dwell on one question this week. And when you come across the answer, I want you to do something about it. Here's the question. What area of my life am I holding back from God? What area of my life am I holding back from God? I want you to dwell on that one this week. I'll send it to you, you folks that are on Next Remind. But whenever you stumble across the answer... Do something about it. That's surrender. That's worship. Lord, I don't know what all you've got in store for us today. I feel like this is the this is the precursor. This is this is the warm up right here. And, and I think you've got something special planned for some people here today. And you're not done. You're not done dealing with their heart and their spirit about surrender. I hope for every person in here today, my prayer is that they will find a place of true worship where they just say yes and they give themselves completely to you. Help us, Lord. Help us to overcome our fear. Help us to overcome our pride. Help us to overcome our confusion and to surrender so that we can